enjoy the nonchalance, taking culture apart one episode at a time. A social commentary podcast on pop culture, fashion, film, and music. Hello, welcome to this week's podcast. This is Destroyed Nonchalance, and this is Troy. I am here with Serena and Rick. Hi. Hey. What have you been up to? Um, it's been pretty good. Uh, I've been doing more research on articles for the upcoming magazine, but I've also been um, putting together a blog post for Coding Black Females, um, my cousin's um coding group and uh, oh, okay. she's been really yeah she's been really busy so i've been kind of helping to log that and put that together what kind of blog post is it what's the topic well this week they had a guy come in and talk about a game that he produced uh through coding and yeah it was they had a really good meeting and he was saying how long it took for him to like put the whole thing together it took like two years Oh, so, wow. Um, yeah. So what have you uh, been up to? Well, I made my first trip to Dublin uh, with Rick this time. We went to go see some friends from Canada. I haven't seen Dublin before, and I don't know if I got to see much of it this time. But what I saw of it, I liked. Um, it's we mainly focused on Trinity College and the library there, which is amazing. It's full of the old books that you can't really get to, but like straight, it's like the dark wood, and when you walk in, you immediately smell like the old books and the polish and everything. It definitely has an ambience about it, which is very like scholarly and historical. I could spend some time there, despite the fact that there are a lot of tours. I'd love to go to Dublin. We went over to see the Oscar Wilde statue. Kind of a weird statue. I don't think he'd be happy with it. Oh, okay. Uh, Why? <laughs> Why? Just the way that he posed him. He has like triple chin and he's looking <laughs> I think he would like what he's wearing. But... He looks very relaxed, but his face looks uncomfortable or something. There's yeah. just something about it. Did Did you drink uh, the Guinness? The black gold, they call it over there. No, I didn't. I'm not a beer drinker. So oh, it didn't yeah. even occur to me to go. But uh, the friends that we were visiting, they were going to go on the Guinness tour. But oh, I think you right. have to pay 20 euros or so to go through their plants, 28. which 28. Oh. And I mean, they're wow. a money-making company. Yes, and of course. Aren't they generating <laughs> enough profit? Like, why do you have to like pay to actually go through and look at what they're going to be making money off of anyway? Yeah. So, yeah. Rick, what was your week like? Well, the Dublin trip, and that was to meet up with one of the friends I met going to my first movie premiere in Leicester Square. It was the Harry Potter Five: The Order of the Phoenix. And so we've yeah. kept in touch and uh, through the years. So it was nice seeing them over there and exploring some of Dublin. Um, I had been before, but it was only, it seems like Dublin is like a starting point to going to the rest of Ireland. It mm. is the biggest city in Ireland and it's a very small city. There isn't that much to do. I think I saw more to do in Nottingham. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah I, did, I, didn't <laughs> I know mention we didn't mention it. Yeah, we didn't mention it. Yeah, of course. Did you actually? Well, after I left you, because you both come up to visit me, just to tell the the listeners, uh, Troy and Rick came to visit me in Nottingham, 
to have a bit of a meetup. So did what did you do after I left? We went through some of the high street. We saw the range of uh, just shops and yeah. retail stores that you have there, which yeah. you have almost all the same stores, it feels like, that yeah. we have here in London. Yeah, it's pretty, like, condensed, you right. know, Nottingham, the city centre. So I'm, I'm glad you got to see a little bit of it. No, it was enjoyable. I did find a cafe. As we were heading back to head back to London, we were going yeah. back to the station, and there's a cafe that has open windows down along the river. So we were passing over some bridge. I took a picture of it, and you yeah. look down, and there's there's a sidewalk running along the canal, and then right next to the canal, um, there were some open windows, and it was just a cafe. And there were people, like some women sitting, and you could see like right inside because they were right next to the canal. It looked like, oh, like a gosh. great place to go and sit. Very casual, very casual. Like although I do like the canal house that we went to for our meeting. It was such a big open atmosphere. <laughs> that was, yeah. yeah. So, you sorry, know, well, you've like, got to, you've, you've got to come back again soon. Um, so my friend Maria, she she brought up uh, this new singer called Billie Eilish, which she's not very new, but she has um, some really interesting sounds. And I started listening to her new album. It's called When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? And it's listed as alternative. It's really good music, and the music videos are so visual, and she's really interesting. I saw a headline where she's bringing ASMR, the whole whispering texture audio kind of thing, into music. It's like the first time that ASMR has crossed over into the mainstream. And when you listen to that song, what's the name of it again? There's uh, Bad Guy is a really good one that has a good music video. Right. Um, and and she does sing sing whisper, kind of. Is that what you would call it, Troy? Yeah, yeah. It's a very like soft sound, but she combined. But she has a really rebellious lyric style. I mean, like the content of her lyrics, it's mm. rebellious. And that kind of leads to the to the next thing. But she she's Generation C. She was born in two thousand one, and so she's really young. Um, I saw a video. Vanity Fair did an interview with her from two thousand seventeen to two thousand eighteen. For example. One of the questions was how many Instagram followers you had in 2016. She had 275,000. And in 2018, she had 7.8 million. It's interesting to hear her talk about the advice that she would give herself a year after just to see the two personas after blowing up with fame. She's very much Generation Z, and that connects to a new show we started called Euphoria. Oh my God. Serena, have you, okay, have you heard anything about Euphoria? No, nothing. Zendaya. Oh. Is the lead, and it's an HBO show. Um, oh great. yes, I saw an advert for it actually yesterday. Oh, it's so edgy and it's very sexual. I mean, you see like full frontal nudity and everything. Um, it kind of reminds me of Greg Araki, but the narrative structure is a little more cohesive. Yeah. So what's Greg? Ar what's what's it called? Greg Araki. He's a director. And he makes a lot of like kind of underground culty kind of movies. Other work. like kind of age things, right? Yeah. Like, Nowhere um, Boy was another one that he directed. It's not a world that at least Rick and I we never get a front row seat to. And I don't know and it would be interesting to hear if that's anybody's real experience. Uh, because if it is, it's just kind of petrifying. It's just petrifying. <laughs> so okay. I don't know how realistic <laughs> it is. And it's not, I don't think it's aiming to be a horror movie. It's not meant to be like... What is it? A horror? Um, you know I don't like horror. 
No, no, it's not. It's not supernatural oh. or anything. Imagine the kids from Big Little Lies. Yeah. Are now teenagers, and oh, okay. Their parents are like absent, and like meth hit their town. And I mean, all of Certain the words. dynamics that you can imagine with social media and the pressures of sending nudes and dating and being in high school. It's like high school times ten. Right. Mixing drugs and sex and and all of that and and the pressures, the bullying that that the youth now has to deal with is very much Generation Z. Like those born after two thousand are growing up in that. Okay, that sounds interesting. Okay, so Rick, what else yeah, do you have? So more to ask we, this week. Yeah, so we finished Big Little Lies. We talked to you a little bit about that, and I think that we should do an episode on the side where we just talk about Big Little Lies. It'd be interesting to hear the female perspective of some of the things that happened and how we see them and interpret them as opposed to what you were thinking as some of these things were happening. So I I didn't want to talk too much about that, uh, but I think it'd be cool to to do Something like yeah, that. Yeah, okay. I'm up for that, yeah. Was there more, Rick, that you wanted to say about your week or your day? Yeah, it might lead to, it might lead to more longer conversations. And I know we want to get started with the topic um, so that the other things can wait. Okay. The next segment, we're going to be talking about fashion and mental health. The topic that we proposed for today, is there a link between fashion and mental health? Do we believe that there is one? Well, I just want to start by saying that I'm very uncomfortable talking about this topic. I, I guess in a general sense, yeah, I can talk about it, but I don't want anything that I say because anything that I say is through the Rick lens. So it might not apply at all to anybody else. Um, I would say in a general sense, yes, because for me, wearing something can make you feel good. Um, wearing something that you like can make you feel good and wearing something ratty and unwashed uh, or whatever that can that can really go hand in hand with sinking into a dark pit <laughs> and right. feeling you know I mean you can think of uh, depression fashion if you're depressed what are you wearing um, sweats and a dirty t-shirt and you're in your couch watching right. TV all day. Um, nobody sees that, I guess. Uh, but that kind of fashion doesn't seem to me like it would make you feel good. But if I wear some a nice pair of shorts or a nice pair of good fitting jeans, um, that's already like a nice pair of shoes, all of that. That's already going to start making me feel good. Yeah, and th that's just how it makes me feel and it affects my moods. If I'm wearing something daring, like if I've ever gotten a Versace something or other where it's lots of colors and it's bright and right. I feel good wearing it, but it's also scary. But it's like that dare, that that kind of fashion, the loud fashion. Um, so for a while, for, for some time I wore really bright colors like red pants or like bright blue shirt or jacket and i kind of stopped that a bit because uh, i just heard some comment here and there where you would hear like side comments and 
Oh, really? Like, what were the comments? If you want to say, no, you don't have to say. Oh, like, I mean, one time I was wearing like a red pants and a blue shirt, and somebody made a a Superman type of comment, like not in a nice way. Like, oh, okay. And and one time I was, I guess, wearing like a mustard colored something, and I don't like mustard, so somebody relating that color to mustard. Put me off of it, you know. Just <laughs> okay. That. Yeah. It's, it's it's interesting how you talk about color as well. I think. Um. So certain colors kind of made you feel a certain way, or is it just color in general as opposed to black? Oh, like certain colors. Like I love the the mustard, the yellow. Oh, I yeah, have a pair yeah. of love, and they're like I will frame them, or <laughs> you know, um, I I just like color blocking and yeah. I love Versace and how some of the prints, you know, when they don't go like too crazy tacky or um, where you, when you can mute it with something, a shirt over it, over the loud shirt, you know, something like that. So right. I like color because it makes me happy. I like summer because color comes back. I like it more than the fall fashions because everybody covers up and it's darker colors. So spring summer collections are always the ones that make me happy. Um, and yeah, so I connect. I definitely know that there's a connection between fashion and mental health. Okay, so uh, I agree with Rick with kind of wearing clothes and they make you feel a certain way. But right. then also it's almost how you feel inside. Sometimes you can wear the nicest dress and then just like feel terrible inside for whatever reason. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And then coming from a fashion industry perspective, you know, that's quite huge. Um, you know, we went to fashion school and the pressures of fashion the industry keeping up keeping up with trends and then when you hear about certain designers you know kind of what they go through and I've been in the industry where I was styling for someone and we were preparing for the show and the day of the show he was absolutely manic like absolutely manic backstage you know yeah. so yeah, yeah yeah it it was crazy and you could tell that he must have had some kind of substance to um to keep oh, like him chemical. going freaked out adrenaline? yeah adrenaline but yeah. this was beyond that i mean he was like just going for it you know screaming at the top of his voice changing his mind every second yeah yeah a little bit of that was was natural he definitely okay. was on a different kind of trajectory he'd had something to kind of keep him going for sure and I mean, it makes the headlines, one, the pressures, but then also Definitely. kind of the chemical and drug connection. It's not uncommon to hear about that kind of thing, make the news as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, look at um, Mark Jacobs. He's, you know, in the press, he's, he's said how he's been to rehab a couple of times because his mental health uh, was worrying him so much. So you're looking at it from both um, the personal experience and the industry Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, the industry okay. is so big. I mean, you've got Alexander McQueen, Isabella Blow. I know Kate Spade's husband was saying that she was seeking help for the last five years because she had depression and anxiety. 
And then the McQueen uh, documentary came out not too long ago and mm-hmm. kind of gave some insight into the pressures that the designers go through and how it was impacting his personal relationships, not only with his family, but also with other people in the fashion industry, such as yeah. Isabella Below and the tension that came between them. And yes, yeah. a lot of it stemmed directly from his work within the industry. Okay. I mean, it's, it's definitely a high-pressured industry, you know? Right. Right. Very high pressured. You've got to like keep up as a designer or even as a fashion journalist, you've got to kind of keep up with what's happening at the time. And, you know, you have summer collection, autumn, and now they're doing mini collections and now there's um, capsule collections. Right. I mean, the, yeah, the list goes on. The list goes on. And even um, Galliano, he was saying how he was glad that he got um, arrested and, and done for, um, you know, when he had that anti, anti-Semitic comment. Right. Yeah, right. and he was saying because he was literally heading for suicide, something had to, to give. Something had to give. My take on this is fashion is meant to kill us. And <laughs> okay, interesting. Fashion is all about ending something and starting it over. You take one look, you put it on, and then put on the next look, and you put on the next look, and you get to start over, start over, start over. And I think the problem is, is that designers and factory workers, they don't get the luxury of starting over. If you take a look at what it's doing to the environment and the, the amount of pollution, what's filling up the landfill, and the fact that most clothes are made are not going to be ever worn, it's going to go straight to the landfill. The people that are working in industry, from the people who are working in the Primark factories to the people who are designing, and you're either dying in a fire in a factory or um, you know, you're going through this really severe stress of, you know, maintaining this creativity. Rick is talking about fashion, but he's also talking about style and liking color and liking color blocking. And you can have a style that lasts, but as soon as when someone comes and tells you, oh, you look like Superman, then what happens? That dies. He doesn't want to look like Superman anymore. That gets it's put t- into yeah, a frame. It's, it's almost tainted, isn't it? It's tainted because of somebody else's perception. Style mm-hmm. you can maintain, and but fashion is social. So someone telling you this is no longer in fashion, then you don't wear it anymore. If you get the feeling that it's not, you're not making the impression that you want to make. You're not going to wear it anymore, and so that dies. The next thing has to come in and replace it, and that's just my take on it. I think it's the very fact that factory workers and designers, anyone working within the industry or even fashion media, you know, photographers and writers, the very fact that they have to be constant and they have to withstand all of the cycles, then you just get depleted and it just goes out. It just goes out. I would say it's is why we have such a hard time getting to the point where we can have sustainable fashion because fashion is not about preservation. Fashion is not about keeping and being smart. Fashion is about like um, fantasy fashion is not about rationality it's about irrationality it's allowing yourself to start over okay so do, so do you think i mean it's interesting very interesting concept so do you think but because is it the people on that cycle that critical path almost of the fashion train those people on it they're the ones with the mental health problems the ones who have to maintain some consistency some yeah. constancy they're the ones more likely to 
experience mental health problems. But there's another side to it as well. Self-image, body image. Your body is no longer good the way it was. It needs to be remade this way. That's consumer side. We're all connected. We're all, you know, we all have a role to play in what how fashion media works. We all have a role to play in how fashion industry works. And the line between consumer and producer is not at all clear cut. But if you want to just take a look at wearing clothes and what kind of clothes look good on you, what you think and how you judge what kind of clothes look good on you. It, it also reminds me like when you say uh, the, you know, the, the cycle and killing is like consumerism it's capitalism at its heart i think fashion because you do have artists we could name many artists pick um that kind of go crazy or were seen as kind of crazy geniuses that kind right. of yeah uh, but i suppose this, the difference between fashion is that fa fashion is uh, on the business end and it's where commerce and art or you know uh mix and and it's that business cycle that's kind of added so it's almost harder fashion is almost like change for the sake of change yeah and that exactly. can be applied to anything yeah anything that happens change for the sake of change i think you can look at it as fashion and that's how fashion and style are separate and how fashion isn't only related to clothing you can look back at the fashion of mannerisms or the fashion like the way people speak and the way people behave and how places are designed from architecture to interior design. Yeah, yeah exactly. I mean, then you're looking at kind of aspiration, aren't you? And uh, the aesthetics of um, aspiring and what makes a person almost like go outside of themselves and become something better than what they feel. Recreation is really healthy. You know, when you look at fashion subcultures, social cohesion, but then I guess it comes down to what your group is doing and what it does to its members and how it operates like in the larger, larger context. Well, when you're talking about like Native Americans and, uh, and their, and what they wear and also like, um, you could look at African tribes, um, cause then you're looking at, uh, the symbolic meaning of what they wear and how they adorn themselves but the the difference i guess when it comes to fashion is that because it's uh almost the cycles are becoming faster and faster because i think we used to have like just four seasons but the cycle now for fashion the industry is getting quicker and quicker you know they'll have a trend and it's gone and it just like you say it dies it's like the fashion dies and moves on that speed just speaks to depletion i mean yes, it's not exactly it's financially difficult for consumers to participate in something yeah. in that type of speed but it's also hard to produce it and you know it's hard for the planet to sustain it and do you have much do you have a sense of empathy uh for people who are working in the industry well that's just to me that's the machine crushing them and that's the the business crushing them. And there's people that are benefiting off the business and the machine far more than the designers themselves. I mean, mm -hmm. were the people kind of okay, the business side people kind of okay with that happening because it was going to make them more profitable. Mm -hmm. um, in, mm -hmm. in any business, you always need to think of the stakeholders and the shareholders and dividends, you know? It's really cold hearted the way that all of that happens and right. it shouldn't be okay but just like with anything else with 
painters that never made a dime when they were alive. And once they died, their art became revered. Yeah, I mean, I, I have empathy, but I think it's hard for the common person to have empathy because it, it seems like they have it all. There's not enough of an understanding on mental health. And there's still a stigma there that it's not like getting a cut or breaking your knee or having a, a hip replacement or breaking a bone. It's all the same. It's it's part of keeping you together. It's, it's health. And um, I think that people brush it off too easily and uh, it is like anything else you have to take care of it you when you break a bone you have to mend it and it takes time it doesn't just happen so i think right. society as a whole doesn't have the empathy it needs to and and there's parts of me in the back of my mind saying well how stupid he uh, for mcqueen for example he had this great creativity and can you imagine how much more we would have i'm selfish because why did he have to go kill himself i wanted to see more i think people are selfish in that they take and take and take and businesses take and take and take and that's why you have all of the seasons collections plus the cruise collections and the capsule collections and the drops that are not even part of a collection they're just like keeping you on your toes and say there's a new shoe drop go get it in line there's a new shirt go get in line we have these new backpacks that are on trend go get in line because business just wants to eat self-care is something you're gonna have to do otherwise you're gonna end up like all of the examples we've listed and yeah i think that call for self-care is starting to be heard throughout a lot of parts of society I mean, different groups are speaking up about self-care. Yeah, I, yeah, I think it's completely valid about what you're saying. And, and it is, it's that machine that you're talking about, the machine. It's the capitalist machine, the machine which says that you've not got everything and you still need to buy this dress in order to make you feel perfect. So you have this in your mind as a consumer that, oh, until I get that dress, I'm not perfect. And I think that's what keeps them going. And then it goes up. Oh, into the hierarchy to the designer that has to kind of be at the top of this machine but actually there's someone above him that's saying you know or her saying we want more designs we want to be fresh you know so it, it does make you wonder about the the fashion industry you know to be a bit more reflective it's a relentless machine that keeps going and the you know the sustainability side of it also, it's massive. It's uh, the landfill and, yeah, the people in uh, making clothes in India and China, the kind of the conditions that they live in, like they, they work 18-hour, 24-hour days, they sleep under the machines. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It really is. I think that it's important to recognize a problem isn't bothering you. You're part of the problem. You're not stuck in traffic. You are the traffic. You play a right. role in what's going on. And so much of it depends on uh, a lack of awareness in order to function about how we're implicated in how we think about buying and consuming all kinds of products in addition to fashion, that we're implicated in this. And there are conveniences that we've trade off for just a lack of awareness. Uh, we don't want to know. We just want to have. Yeah, and it's true. 
Um, that's one of, I think, one of the goals for this podcast is that I just want to break open what we're supposed to just swallow whole. I wanted to take the conversation and I wanted to ask, and this is for um, the final segment, how do we make it actionable? So looking at the clothing that I have on, look at the clothing that you have on. Why are you wearing what you're wearing? And how much of what you're wearing is wrapped up in the very problem that we're talking about? I know for me, I'm wearing something that came from H&M. I'm wearing something that came from French Connection. And it's very much part of fast fashion, which is the, the big a big contributor to everything that we're talking about. That turnaround, the cheap product and everything. How reflective was I when I bought this stuff? Well, I mean, I'm wearing a skirt. I think I got it from TK Maxx, a top from New Look. And then a vest, I think this is like from Primark. So, and, and I remember studying at fashion school about Primark and their involvement in um, the um, awful building collapse in uh, in India, in Bangladesh. I mean, it's, it's terrible, but I guess when you do buy it, you're just buying it because you want it now, straight right. away. And, and then that's it. You know, you don't really think as I'm buying it. I mean, it does cross my mind for sure when I go into places like Primark or, you know, um, H&M and you see all these clothes and a lot of them are on sale as well at the same time. And you do think, my goodness, how much... Because I know how much they get paid for like a full day's work. It's like 8.36p or something. Crazy like that. Right. Which, you know, that's quite staggering. When you think about what it makes, what it takes to make the clothing, um, to get the material, you know, the cost of distribution, just the whole parts of it is quite interesting. But, yeah, when you say kind of what am I wearing now, it's it's interesting because I guess my first thought of what I'm wearing is to wear something comfortable, you know, right. chatting to you. Do you know what I mean? Chatting to you. Yeah. In, do you know what I mean? I'm just relaxed. I'm talking to my friends. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So. And and that is like really important to me because if I was kind of uncomfortable and sitting here in like a suit or you know <laughs> you know do you know what I mean like that, it would impact the way you have the conversation exactly. like, it would influence you in a way you don't want to be influenced exactly exactly what about no. you Rick well it's it's a little bit different now than what it used to be so what I'm I'm wearing now is something that I almost. It's pieces I have multiple versions of the same thing yeah. because I like them and they are basic. So like a black t-shirt, a black v-neck from H&M, I have like 10 of those. And so I rotate them and I've had them for years. I don't shop that much anymore the way I used to, I guess. And I'm only shopping for for convenience now. Like the the pair of shirts that I have on now, I have two of the same thing because I don't want them to die so quickly, and I can alternate. But I know that they they will because it it just happens to e- either jeans or shorts that I have, so that they're affected by us walking everywhere. You know, um, it just happens clothes get worn down. So anytime we shop is usually H&M because it's basics that aren't trying to meet a fashion uh, that is happening right now or anything like that. You can find things that aren't super trendy that will it's be just, good for like a few yeah, years. Yeah, it's kind of general and generic. It's just a pair of shorts and the pair of shorts that I get have to meet a few boxes 
And there's a very few things that make me feel good about me and my body because everybody has issues uh, one way or another, regardless of whether they're valid or not. That's true. (laughs) This year, I've been more okay with just wearing the shirts, the V-neck shirts. But in all previous years, I always had to have a a jacket or something over it to uh, because I'm self-conscious or I have to always be wearing a backpack. Just something else that makes me feel better about my body. Really, like anything that I wear, I wear it till it's it has to be, you know, sent to the H&M recycling box uh, (laughs) because it ripped. My shoes are the same. And that's a problem I have that I wear something until you know there's holes in it and oh it's raining it's london you can't wear those shoes anymore because your socks are gonna get wet and maybe that's a bit of a being stuck because (laughs) after the last time it happened i haven't hurried back to that and i have i have pieces of uh clothing that i don't even wear because they're more like oh i i just like that i own it but I don't have occasions to wear them very much. That I think- happened to me a lot too. I would buy something really interesting looking and then I would just never have the occasion to wear it. So I lost interest in buying it. Yeah, so we we contribute, but I don't think we contribute as much as um, other people do. And definitely, I think that guys don't have as much of a chance to contribute to it. I mean, you go to a store and there's three floors or four floors for women and there's one corner section for men. Well, yeah, I mean, and that, and that's literally, sorry to cut in, but that's literally because, uh, you know, women are marketed to consistently yeah. from the minute we wake up to the minute we, we, we go to sleep. Like, and there's um, so much social pressure, too. Exactly. To... I'm saying we're, we're an easy target, you know, you know pressure the... of that. You're not perfect. Yeah. You've got to look like a 15-year-old, six-foot, you know, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, white girl that walks down the catwalk. And it's, 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 it's an impossibility for most people, you know? Okay, that brings us to my next question. So how do we access the benefits to fashion? So how can we turn fashion into a benefit, an advantage? I mean, personally, fashion uh, or clothing or honing my style um, is definitely, it helps and an important part of kind of who I am part of my identity um, right. and I do enjoy going out and finding like a special shop um, even I love vintage shops or secondhand shops and finding like the perfect kind of jacket or something you know it actually is it's a it's a rush I like, and mm-hmm. that is something I enjoy and kind of helps me. You put a because when you go to an interview or when you're going to see your family or just anything, you put on um, certain clothing because you feel a certain way. Especially for women, and for women, there are there are um, social codes and social ways that you're supposed to look and kind of what you're supposed to wear. And it's like trying to navigate your way through all of the chatter and social standards in order to basically what we're all trying to do, whether you're a man or a woman, is just feel comfortable within yourself and then take yourself out into the world. And feel comfortable in the world. Yeah. It helps you build confidence. And that's a huge thing when you don't have any or you lack that part of your DNA just lacks it. And when there's nothing you like about your body, well, maybe there is one thing. And if you wear something that might highlight it and that's 
that's a good thing. So I, I don't know, because I mean, fashion, we see it like when we're watching one of the Fab Five episodes, the big, huge impact that fashion has on these people and on their new look. And every time I'm thinking, well, if I'm wearing the same thing all the time, is it like giving up? Did I give up or I'm not wearing something age appropriate or what it, What am I doing? So, yeah. Do you plant seeds of self-criticism or self-doubt when you see well, episodes like that? Yeah, or plant seeds of that's where that's a direction I can maybe take or next time I'm in the store, I can do this. Or, for example, the French talk where if you tuck a shirt in this way, that's more flattering than if you do it this way. And right. also getting away from the trends and how fashion and style are two different things. If you're on the style column, you can wear something that's long lasting and you can mix it up and right. and you're not following a trend that will invalidate your clothing in a month. That's a big confusion that I used to have. Um, I would make mistakes and get things that were trendy and what looked fashionable, but only to find that it didn't feel fashionable. I just tried to stop doing that. And I tried to get to something that's more of what my idea of style is. Remembering that I'm making choices, how I want to base my choices and how I want to make my decisions. And it's not just something that gets imposed for me only from the outside that I'm making choices about what I want to participate in and what I want to pull together. The question also comes up, how do you mitigate the costs of using fashion? And I think, you know, when we look at the environmental costs and the social costs of using fashion, but also the financial, vintage is a great approach to that. I do. I have to say, I do. I agree with you. And I I enjoy buying it and knowing that um, it's almost like a piece of quality or a piece of art that somebody's worn before. And then I'm able to see that also within uh, the, the piece of clothing. I mean, uh, yeah, last week I found a great shop in um, just outside Nottingham. Yeah, okay. it was really good. Like it had everything from vintage chairs, pictures, mirrors, uh-huh. um, paintings, and then it had like jewelry like stacks and stacks of jewelry like an old christian dior watch and so it's a big shop huge and it had like Ah. fur coats and then then i saw a top and i did i brought a top and it was like 12 pounds you know some designer top i don't know what designer but it was it was lovely and i'm just glad it was well made and well that's it it stands the test of time because the very fact that it's in a vintage store. But exactly. you're getting it for 12 pounds. I'll go to like Primark, I swear, and I've got, cause, and you'll get like a vest or underwear. A lot of, I find a lot of my friends and family will go to Primark, get underwear and vests. And they'll be like, you'll wash them and then they're like finished within a few weeks. You know, it's just there's no quality there. Like they're almost made, like you say, to die. You know, they they start falling apart. But that top that I brought, I know it's going to last, you know. And I've got jackets that I've brought vintage. And I've had them for years. One question I have on vintage that with vintage, anytime I go into a vintage shop, I always find expensive things. I've never ever been to a vintage shop and I that I've found something that's less expensive than something I can find at H&M. I need to, I guess, explore more vintage shops because the ones that are here in London are just expensive. Geography might have 
something to do with it. Yeah. But also maybe like an understanding of what cost is, because if you can buy something and it lasts for 10 years, or if you have to replace something every six months, in the end, what costs more? What's yeah, the true price of something? I mean, you know how I am when I have to buy something. I get all the discounts I can possibly squeeze out of it and and now buy it. And even um, the 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 shoes that I bought, they're uh, Adidas and MDs. And I found a place where I can buy these 190-pound shoes for 30 pounds. And when you think of these shoes where people buy them from drops and they never wear them because they're shoe collectors and and it gets resold for 30 pounds, I'll buy it. And they're such good quality still. And, you know, any way possible to lower the cost of whatever I'm going to buy. I mean, I, I, mean, I, I do know a shop near you that I always go to when I'm in London. Just oh really? Street. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I don't know what your vintage is. Maybe your vintage is like high end. I'll go to like say the Children or Bernardos or Oxfam. Do you know uh, what so there's are? like a social side to it where yeah. the money is going to something that's for a cause. Exactly, exactly. These okay. are like charity shops, and there's one that I always go to. It's just off um, Oxford Street, Save the Children, I think it's called near Pret. Um, yeah, Pretamanja. Okay. And yeah, and they have they definitely have designer stuff which are like people have worn or whatever. So you have to go and get it cleaned afterwards. But if you can find something, you know, good quality, it's on it's honestly it's worth it. Do you know what I mean? But you have to be like somebody that kind of you, you take your time like searching and rummaging around. You have to be someone that likes to rummage and like search for a good quality piece. Cuz we have friends who will go and search through vintage stores and they'll come out with like Louis Vuitton. I mean, it sounds amazing. I would have to develop a sense of patience as a shopper. That's what I'm saying. You, you, do. you do. You literally have to like think this is going to take probably a couple of hours just in one shot. You and know, you may and not you come out with anything. This is it. And you have to check the armpits and, you know, to make sure and make sure it's not ripped beyond repair. Do you know what I mean? You really right. have to have an eagle eye and take your time. You know, and look for and look for things. So yeah, you can go to a vintage shop with you at some point. <laughs> oh, you know yeah, that would be yeah. a great thing to do. I would. Yeah, we learn I would actually. About it and then, yeah, okay. I would. I mean, I think the vintage, uh, buying things that have previously been used, like Rick, yeah. what you've done. I think those are part of the solution. Understanding the difference between fashion and style. And understanding the role of your choice, what your range of choices actually are, and how do you access that choice. For me, I think is that that's one way of becoming part of the solution. Talking about choice, and then talking about how to access that choice. Yeah, yeah. and I think um, really just setting some time aside to reflect on your closet. If you can't see it, then you don't know it's there. So if you have piles of clothes somewhere, then, you know, maybe you need to look through that and make sure that you recycle those clothes. Um, the way that we recycle clothing is we take it to the H&M. We just put it in a bag and there's an H&M box where you you can take any clothes from any store. And that's that's what we we do. But if you if you know that there's clothing that can be resold. I guess you can donate it to different places. Um, but yeah, I think reflecting on style 
and what makes you feel good, really honing in on that, that can start pulling you away from this fast fashion train that everybody's in. And when you start looking at quality versus quantity, all of that might right. help alleviate this crazy thing that's going on right now. I mean, I, and I would just say more than the most important thing is your well-being. And the most best-looking people in my eye are confident and it's not about what they're wearing, but their confidence, smile, and, and how happy they look. That's what I agree I've with that so fashion. much. There's yeah. some people where their clothing looks like it's wearing them, and then yeah. there's some people that are so radiant that you notice the person. Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was saying. It, like going to fashion school, that's kind of what I've come, come out of it learning, is that actually it's not about the actual clothing. It's, it's, it's the human being that shines through which makes the outfit. It comes from a place of understanding, self-awareness. Exactly, self-awareness. understanding who you are. And I think that's probably a, the solution to most problems. Um, yeah. How are you contributing to it? And then, you know, how can you help become part of the, the solution? Yeah. So I guess this wraps up the podcast. As always, I've really enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, it's been a good chat. I want to thank the listeners for listening, and hopefully um, the listeners are coming away with something. Um, feel free to contact us through social media because we love some engagement. Bye. All right, take care. I'll see thank you soon. Thank you for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast. We put it out weekly. And follow us on social media. We're on every platform. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We're everywhere. Thank <laughs> you.